0: Are we the middle class of app app developers? Or are we the couriers? For me anyway, I'm the apps the apps I work on now anyway are for oh, oh. We're recording. Yeah, cut that bit out. Um, <laughs> 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 I thought this was casual kind of conversation again for a second, I didn't realise we were actually recording the podcast. That was um, a good link,
1: that was a good link, Thomas. So do you, you wanna start that again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I think that no, for me it's not the I don't need to be the selling thousands a day, you know. That kind of thing. I, mine is a is a byproduct. It's it's something you get bundled with a, a physical product. You know, you get the physical product and then you get the app. I don't have to just sell the app on its own. You know, the app doesn't sell on its own. Pretty much, it doesn't really work on its own. It works within an ecosystem. So for me, yeah, don't have to sell it uh, in the thousands. I make thousands a day.
2: <laughs> when you guys released your game onto the App Store, what what year was that? Two thousand and eleven. Okay, and just trying to think back because, you know, the iPhone app store wasn't always sort of a really difficult commercial environment. Certainly in the very early days it was possible at least to make some money with, with, you know, paid apps. How was it in 2011 when you guys released
1: I think after we we started seeing the 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 theme though after six months like oh the gold rush is over gold rush is over gold rush is over and now again this week are we we're looking at another article that the gold rush is over you know so I I think it's it's kind of survivor bias as well in that the people who are you're only hearing the the real the success stories all the time and from like the apps I've worked on uh, including our own games and stuff like that. There's never really anything other than chance in the first place.
2: And so one way of looking at this, I suppose, is that it, it's just economics. It's just the nature of it, um, that there will always be downward pressure on prices in the App Store. I mean, the App Store as it currently is, where it is very difficult to make money from a paid app. And it is very difficult as a developer to continue to make an income by releasing and maintaining apps. I mean, do we think it's a bad thing or or is it just kind of the way it is?
0: I guess it's a gamble, really. At times, as Dave said, you know, it's it's about luck at times. Um, is it a positive <laughs> state
2: of affairs, though, I guess? Because I, I, I certainly feel like it's negative and things could be done to improve it.
0: <laughs> I guess it's come back to one of these things. That it's like... As developers, do you feel uh, you're treated well, I guess, on the app store, you know, as consumers are always treated very, very well. Are developers treated well if the money is coming into the app store? Um, If Apple are making enough money off of it, if they're paying out, you know, 40 billion to date or something like that, they're probably slow to make changes, you know.
2: Except we know that the vast majority of that 40 million is going on free to play games. It's Yeah, yeah going on Clash of Clans and the rest of it and and of those games it, it appears that a lot of the revenue is coming from Wales, right? Not
1: the country. <laughs> we'll see, yeah, we'll see how the Brexit changes that. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, yeah, that's it. Like it's, you know, it's kind of the 80-20 or the 90-10 rule. Like, you know, you'll have the small percentage of people keeping these games these games afloat. But I think it's also worth noting that like you're talking about all of these games that are the 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 free to play model that are making the money. I'm constantly seeing ads for them on TV. I'm seeing you know ads on websites. I'm seeing ads for on everywhere. So they're making the revenue, but there's they're definitely doing it the right way. They're advertising. They obviously have a cost per customer that they know. Well, look, we can spend uh we can spend a tenner in advertising to make fifteen, and that's how to do it. I think the small app developer doesn't have doesn't have that luxury unless you have the bonafide hit. And I think that's the same with anything like it is marketing. How do people know about you? They don't. You have to tell them and you have to pony up the cash to do that. Unless there's, you know, some amazing reason to uh, for people to talk about you. Because if you think about a lot of utility apps, like, I mean, they're great. Um, You know, word processors, whatever. But they're not, you know, they're not going to become viral hits as such. So they need to do. Some amount of advertising or whatever to actually get get to the point where they're where they're usable, you know, or where they're where they're visible. So I think people gotta pay, and yeah. it, it's always really been that way. Here's an interesting stat, though, from the Casey Newton
2: article on The Verge called "What's the Title: Life and Death in the App Store." Um, in 2011, when you guys released your first iPhone app. That we retired on. (laughs) Exactly. Um, 63% of apps were app downloads were paid and the average uh, selling price was $3.64.
0: I think most of the free apps as well were probably free or light versions of those paid apps as well. Yeah.
2: So last year only 27% of downloads were paid and the average price had fallen to $1.27. That's quite a big um change in four years.
0: Yeah, I guess giving people that freedom, that race to the bottom, you know, they, they will just try and compete with each other and outbid each other. Um, Especially, I guess, back in the day where you could, I suppose there wasn't as many games to pick from that people were just going to Tons and tons of people are just going to buy, you know, the most popular game. And by selling it for $0.99, you know, you can make a killing on it at the time. Uh, Angry Birds and stuff like that.
2: I I worry about the state of affairs, though, for the platform as a whole. I always felt one of the Mac's strong points was the sort of strong quality of indie um, apps available um, for the Mac. Um, there would be lots of sort of good apps that just didn't have a, an equivalent on, on Windows. Um, and that's because the, the nature of the Mac market, even though it wasn't big, um, the market for indie software, due to a combination, I suppose, of, of not much competition um, and the sort of the socioeconomic profile of people who are buying Macs. But if, if it continues to be the case that, being an indie developer on the App Store is not really economic viable, then long term, that's going to mean we're not going to have
1: as many good indie apps. Definitely. I think one of the things, though, is that, and it's, it's probably realistically what happens in most cases, it, there was a stat a while ago, I'll see if I can find it, and you had to have multiple apps on the App Store as an indie developer to make any progress. So if you released one app, your chances of success were close to nil. If you released two apps, they got better. If you released three apps, they got better. So every app was almost, um, you know, exponentially increased what what tiny visibility you had in the first app um, to to actually make it useful. So um, app developers who put the first app out didn't do too well and quit that that's the end of that but people who kept plugging away and kept putting out apps saw success after some time so i don't know what what that says about things you know when you take in the the indie part of it into account which usually means that someone is trying to to make some class of a living out of this um if they're releasing one app two apps and not seeing much of a much of a return until they've until they've a portfolio
0: yeah and i i I guess it's quite scary as well i um just looking back at the App Store at the moment, you know, what's been shown and stuff like that, uh, the quality that goes into apps now is just, I suppose, it's it's huge. From the art design, you know, uh graphics, gameplay, music, all this kind of stuff, it's above and beyond what I could be doing now, you know, at home, working on my own. I'd have to come up with, I suppose, a really simple aesthetic. It, it, it probably wouldn't even catch you as well, you know, having to think about all, like getting... Uh, p- promotional art on the websites and getting it out on Twitter and stuff like that. It's just, it's, it really, it really is difficult. I think it kind of, it would put me off, I guess, trying to go back into that market again. I re- Do you
2: think the, the standard has increased noticeably in the past five years?
0: Oh, it's, it's huge. It's huge. It's ridiculous. Like just even I was saying to Dave before we came onto the podcast, uh, the standard of icons, app, app icons even is, you know the colors they use the art in them it's it's something small but it captures you straight away um this is in like the the app store homepage and stuff like that even though that that effort that you have to put into every every little bit of the your app to start, i'm thinking more along the the lines of games and stuff like this myself personally what i would have done as an indie developer uh you know it's it's tough it's it's competitive and I guess it would put me off going, it would put me off going back into it, um, for monetary reasons. I'd go back for it out of enjoyment of, you know, making an app, making a game, putting it out there. It wouldn't bother me so much about if I were like, okay, look, I'm not going to make any money on this, but a hundred people might enjoy it. You know, that would make me happy. Going back in though to pay my bills, I'm just kind of scared away from that completely.
2: Wow. So I, I guess, is the service, is the future of app development um, either apps that are actually front ends for services, uh, which might be kind of how you'd describe as your work? Or um, I mean, there are other models than just kind of apps that are bought through the app store. Um, yeah. Do you think uh, any of Apple's recent changes to subscription? pricing and that sort of thing do you think that'll make any difference
0: i think it's good for apps that um i, I guess apps that offer, uh, offer i suppose apps that aren't going to get a huge amount of downloads okay so i'd probably use your app as an example here uh, it, it's not as Dave said I have loads
2: of downloads what are you talking about but
0: it's not a you know <laughs> a million a day kind of download jobby yeah but i uh, i think it's good for apps like that because th- those apps have to be priced quite high you know Because the the, the volume of them won't be that high. They have to be priced quite high. There's a piano tuning app on the App Store that costs uh, 999. I guess the top it can cost. Uh, I guess it, because it's not going to sell that well. How many piano tuners out there are looking for, you know, are there? Um, So those kind of apps, I think, will benefit from the subscription model because people are going to be scared off by the two, three, 400 euro price tag but you can get in then quite quickly with the $30 a month, $40 a month, whatever it might be, the subscription base. No, after only $30 or $40, yes, this is for me. No, it's not for me. And then, yes, I'm going to continue paying $30 a month. And then for the developer, then I think it's fantastic that you're going to get that revenue, you know, more and more often. That I think that would get me to go into making an app that I can kind of go, look, it's not going to sell too much, but I think people who will use it will want to keep coming back and will want to keep paying the subscription. So it would make me more confident in producing that type of app, but I'm not going to be able to produce. With games, games you use them, you know, once and you're kind of done with them. Um, you've got to keep producing more and more content and stuff like that. So again, I don't know how much you'd want to be making content for that kind of stuff. If you know that you're, if you don't know how many people you're going to get playing your game. Do you, are you going to make a subscription model game and are you going to be able to fund its continuous, you know, updates and stuff like this? Are you going to be getting in enough subscriptions every month? I wouldn't want to start making games again because I know I can make my app a subscription app. I'd need a team of 50 people for something like that. Couldn't just be me as an indie developer making a subscription game, but I could see subscription being used in consumer products, stuff that is used every day.
1: I think uh, there's a bit of a problem with the subscription models overall in that it seems to me that it's the the hallmark these days of a dying app that has exhausted it that's kind of saturated the amount of money that it can get from just the organic purchases you know um there's a certain class of app like would would you pay a monthly subscription for a sublime text no yeah <laughs> you know um would you pay a monthly subscription for text expander and the thing is that this is the way a lot of these um, desktop apps are going. Now, you know, um, Sublime Text was uh, just an example, but Text Expander is gone to a subscription model, um, and that's essentially you type in a shortcut or a sequence of keys, and it expands it to be full text like. You know, so Text Expander at this stage is subscription model for essentially a one-off app like. Yeah you know
0: that you never you might get some updates too but it's
1: not gonna it's not gonna be revolutionized the whole time they're just keeping it up to date like it's it's one of these things where look if you're a professional and you have a company you know five dollars a month here and there is not going to not going to kill you but i think if you're a consumer you know it's kind of like well tenner for netflix tenner for spotify fiver for this fiver for that you know it gets um it gets out of hand fairly fairly quickly
0: you 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 had a bit of a uh, spring cleaning of your subscriptions recently saved a few quid didn't you Oh
1: yeah um like a ridiculous amount over yeah. the year and there were things that I was happy enough to pay for but just that you know I suppose just on on reflection um hadn't used them in a while yeah. um and I've been doing that even even more so now. I had old web hosting that I was looking into and I got rid of and stuff, you know. So we're talking about probably a grand a year's worth of subscriptions to things that I had um, that I'm after culling. Um, You know, maybe, maybe 900 uh, euro a year worth of stuff, which is only now in quotes like, you know, about 75 euro a month. But it was kind of like twenty here for this, a 10er for this server, a fiver for that service, something for you know. Mm-hmm. Now most of them were things that at at one point in time I would have used them a lot more, but they're just they don't just don't don't justify themselves anymore. Um, and that's the the kind of the issue with all of these little subscription apps. Like if if your your text editor wants a subscription now, I know obviously the example is Office Three Six Five and whatever their their subscription now, but if you're just going to be you know. Um, no problem paying one off. But if you're going to be constantly paying for something that's just essentially an app, you know, if there's a server component or something, I totally understand. But if it's just, you know, if it's something that has a server component shoehorned into it to justify a monthly monthly price, I don't know what. I don't know. Don't like it.
2: What about upgrade pricing? Because I guess some... It's something that some developers have been asking for for a long time. So this is that you buy version three of an app um, and the developer then releases version four. So you can keep using version three and not pay or you can pay money to upgrade, um, which is kind of almost a halfway house between a subscription and a once off cost. What, what 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 do you guys think, think of that? And do you think um, Apple should um, introduce it?
1: One thought I had on this actually was that if you released an app, and then you released a version 2, could you put the two of them in a bundle at a reduced price? So no one in their right mind is actually going to buy the bundle, but if they already have the first one, the price is reduced accordingly. And then, you know, let's say if you have a bundle of your app 1 and 2, and you set the price at, like, I don't know, a tenner, but app 2 on its own is 7 quid, and app 1 on its own is 7 quid. You know, and if if you've already bought app one, then the price for app two reduces to to three or something. You know, or
2: I guess that they could just have upgrade pricing. So, like, if you if if the app if you've already bought version two, then the cost of upgrading to version three is maybe a quarter of what the full price is for version three. Like, which would require an intervention from Apple, I suppose. Of too. course,
1: yeah, yeah. But within the within the current system that's the only thing I could think of. Yeah. And it's probably in breach of some terms of service that I haven't that I haven't scrutinized like. Um yeah, I before upgrade pricing and it's something that I've always done on the Mac. Like I mean, if you take any of the, the panic apps, you know, they've they've done the, the upgrade pricing. I've got them the parallels, all those sort of big apps. You know, once they when they come around I'll do the do the upgrade. Um, quite happily and if I don't need it I can hold off for a while but if I if every app that I use daily was subscription we'd be in we'd be in right trouble. (laughs) So are you investigating a subscription model Thomas?
2: Yeah uh, it's gonna it's gonna affect cash flow in the short term Um, so I'm not 100% sure I'm gonna do it but uh, I certainly like to do it. Uh, obviously, it's a business-to-business app, so um, you know it's got different uh, different dynamics. Uh, and my particular app, businesses sort of uh, use in the course of their business, so like it's an essential tool, I guess. So um, yeah, we I, I'll see. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that it'll allow it, it'll allow a more sustainable future. I haven't started asking. I was going to start by sort of asking some of my existing customers. Um, Who I wouldn't move to the subscription model, but ask them, you know, would they have been more or less likely to purchase if there was a subscription as opposed to a one-off cost? Um, And I'm expecting um, some mixed messages from that. People like the fact that I don't charge a subscription. I'm very unusual in my business um, that I don't charge a subscription. Um, but on the other hand, the upfront cost of acquisition of my sort of system, I suppose the app and the hardware bundle, is quite high. So uh, for especially for new retailers starting up, it's not an
0: insignificant amount of money. So we'll see. I suppose that one of the tricks you have to face then is releasing the uh, second app separately, so you've got your old customers on the old system. But then for the subscription, when you have to have a separate app, then I guess you couldn't, or I suppose retroactively, or I suppose you couldn't up- upgrade the current app that's on the App Store to be a subscription-based model because then all your previous customers who bought it outright at the more expensive price would have to um, go on the subscription. So that's tricky then. You have to manage two
1: apps then. You can check, no, you can check the receipt oh, really date in the of the purchase
0: ah very cool so they can get free for life then
1: yeah based on the the purchase date as Uh, far as I know that's a a more recent uh addition to the receipts
0: that's great yeah that's really good so yeah I guess
2: we'll just see what happens this autumn um I'd be interested to see do any prominent apps go subscription and what uh what user feedback is on it um I'm certainly hoping that it'll be a small contribution to a more sustainable app store, but uh, I'm not holding my
1: breath either. Yeah, and just to be, you are adding features for this. It's not, you're not just deciding to, to change the business model. You are you are adding cloud elements.
2: Mm, no. Um, I probably would add features before I rolled it out, but um, no, it'd be separate to a cloud component. Oh, so okay. it'd just be. Uh, Yeah, just just for the software. Speaking of cloud-based services, I had a small link link in the show notes uh, on Michael Tsai's blog um, saying that Apple have deprecated iCloud core data, which obviously only I care about. But have you actually used it? No, I've never used it, no. Um, I mean, I I guess the the history of it is interesting in that Apple brought out... um, iCloud core data syncing which basically meant that you could you could sync core data stores via iCloud, and when they released it first. It was this uh, 2013, maybe 2012 that they uh, launched it. It was awful and it broke for everyone. Um, and it essentially just didn't work. Now in subsequent releases, they actually kind of doubled down on it. And I think managed to create a, a relatively stable implementation. But now they marked it as deprecated. Uh, I guess it's one of those things. I mean, Sync is so awfully hard um in a way it's sort of it's it's nice for certainly my ego that even apple had problems getting getting it to work right um yeah it's just really really tough to do properly
1: and is there any any replacement forthcoming from apple
2: no um there's cloud but but cloud is completely different of course um so there is no mechanism um there is no native data store that sort of sync with the power of core data that syncs to um, other apps or other devices. So you can do something with CloudKit, but it essentially involves building your own sync engine um, and using CloudKit then to persist data between de- devices. I should mention there's an open source uh, alternative called Ensemble. Oh no, sounds bad with the French accent. <laughs> <laughs> Ensembles. Um, written by a guy called June McCormick. He's quite an interesting mo- uh, model. He's version one, which is free and open source, and then version two, which you have to pay for, but you do get the source if you buy it, uh, I think, or at least in some of the packages. So uh, this is basically his uh, solution for core data syncing Via Dropbox or CloudKit, or he has a few other sort of cloud implementations to to give you sort of automatic core data syncing.
1: All right, that looks quite interesting, actually. A lot of nice, a lot of nice integrations with that. And again, you have to you have to pay.
2: Pricing isn't too bad either. I think it I sort of feels reasonable.
1: Yeah, and is this is it subscription or is it just you buy you buy it and you get you get access.
2: It, it it's kind of one-off you buy it and i think that includes a possibly a year of um support and updates yeah um yeah 149 149 dollars gets you source code um access to the github repo um support uh ebooks and updates for one year um so yeah, so it's kind of subscription, kind of not, because you don't get any more. If you want uh, support for another year or updates for another year, you have to pay another one dollar,
1: um, one hundred and forty nine dollars. Nice, actually, yeah, just that's good. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Would
0: you use it, Thomas?
2: Yeah, half tempted. I, I, I keep every sort of two months. I look at um core data syncing. Mm-hmm. So actually, the week that came out, I was having another look at it. I mean, core core data iCloud syncing wasn't would never give you cloud syncing anyway. You know, yeah, because it's only on uh, iOS and Mac devices. I've been kicking around a sort of a cloud sync strategy for my core data store for a long time. I've. Sort of I've got a vague implementation, but, as I said, it's just like this stuff is really, really difficult um It's like relatively straightforward to get kind of eighty percent there, but the last twenty percent is so difficult, and you think of edge cases where you know records have been changed on multiple devices um the same records have been changed and you know that mer- sort of what merge algorithm you're going to use and but it's especially important with especially with ios not necessarily my app but uh, i guess any app where you might be using it and then you might go offline because your train's in a tunnel or whatever and then you yeah you're back outside and you've got a I, yeah, I think it's hard for everybody. I don't think it's just hard for me. Um, yeah, I just think it's one of those things. So, this week, worst case scenario, we fixed our first bug together.
0: <laughs> Go
2: team.
1: <Yeah>. Go team. <laughs> fun experience.
2: Yeah, and I thought it might be fun just to kind of talk through how it happened. Dave, you were, we, we host this podcast on a WordPress site and we used a plugin called Seriously Simple Podcasting. Um, which has an add-on for statistics. So, Dave, you were looking at um, how many downloads we'd
1: had last yeah. week. and there was just thousands of downloads <laughs> listed as other. <laughs> um, and basically, the only ones that were broken up were um, pocket casts and then plays in the player, open the new window, and then direct downloads. So, other was this one that was... Um, confusing me because obviously this plugin had the the capacity and the ability to recognize pocket casts why were all of these downloads under other and not being broken down into the specific players that people were using to give us a bit of an idea like because again you know pocket casts as an example seems to be an android only player whereas if someone is using um you know itunes or overcast you know pretty much that they're they're on a they're on an iPhone so for our lone Android using listener um hi uh <laughs> but um yeah so I just wanted to see why everything essentially was was put in as other on the stats so I gave a quick look at the the plugin I gave a quick look to the database to see what it was writing with the with the plugin and then I spotted this bit where it identified bits and pieces in this in the user agent or the refer to see to say where it was or which which um particular client it was using and i made some modifications to that to see if if it worked and then uh, it didn't and that's when i stopped pretty much
2: so meanwhile while dave was doing all, um this i started getting a little bit competitive in my head so i started also looking through the um the plugin code just to see if i could kind of figure I kind of wanted to get there before Dave did, but I didn't. <laughs> before she, Dave gave up. So that that, that I, I kind of, so <clears throat> I was messed. mess. That helped, yeah. <laughs> um, so like, it was just really fun messaging you guys and, and kind of <clears throat> it's been a long time since I've written any PHP, so I wasn't and I don't think any of us had really delved into WordPress at all, have we?
1: No, no, not on purpose.
2: um so yeah it was really sort of fun being in a a kind of a, a strange environment and trying to drill down i have to say that the one thing that struck me is like i know i know it's a kind of trendy thing to say but oh how awful some bits of php are um Not necessarily that it's an awful language, but just this kind of dynamically typed stuff and the way it does it just kind of gives you really sort of problems that just wouldn't exist in a strongly typed language like Objective-C or or Swift. So yeah, so um, we kind of collectively found the buzz you were kind of at work for the first half of this so you you were kind of ignoring all our messages and then jumped in yeah after you'd uh, <laughs> uh finished but actually like it was when you were on the bus and you asked I, I was kind of almost getting to the answer but but i i i wasn't making that final step and it, it was only that you asked a, a sort of question i was trying to Basically, this thing was kind of searching for a string and another string and the arguments to the method were were swapped around. Um, But uh, we solved it. I put a write up on my website. Um, I submitted our our patch and the maintainer, Hugh Lashbrook, he he accepted it immediately and pushed it out as an update. So all the other thousands of podcasts uh, using this plugin have us to thank for uh, more accurate stats. but Dave, you said afterwards like that this is an example of um mob driven development or mob based programming.
1: Yeah, because I just think it was funny that like we were essentially all there was only one of us at a time in the code and kind of sharing back, you know, why isn't this working? What's, you know, hey, this this says this gives me the right answer. This doesn't. And then you just had the myself and Baz chiming in and just giving giving our thoughts to it. So, you know, I think it was interesting enough that it's it's kind of, a I think, a good way to to get to the bottom of something, because you said, like, I looked at it and straight off, I didn't get it. It's the kind of thing where if I was a bit more if I had used that that function a lot, and I was more familiar with it. It's, it's the kind of mistake that it, it takes you like one second to make the mistake, and it takes you two seconds to cop the mistake if you're, you know, if you're in that environment and if you're using it. But, you know, I think, uh, I think at least the, the, the mob aspect reduced the, the amount of time that any one of us would have actually spent on it. But maybe, maybe the combined amount is still, still too high. <laughs>
2: Yeah it's interesting. So Wikipedia says that mob programming is a software development approach where the whole team works on the same thing at the same time in the same space at the same computer. Um and I guess like you're right it does sound a bit uh, counterintuitive that like you might save time or effort by having essentially one keyboard and the other people kind of shouting it sounds like a bad board game or something no I can I'd love to try it kind of properly in the same space because I think it uh, because it's funny because you're clearly in some ways not in the flow because other people are in you know you're also interacting with other people and you you would traditionally maybe or i might kind of think well yeah that doesn't that break your conversation because other people are talking at you but uh i do think i'd love to try it sometime i suspect it might be super super productive given the sort of right group of people i the only thing i'd say about mob programming is i presume it only works when there's a high degree of trust between people i can't imagine it doing this with some people I've worked with. Do you know what I mean? Because I just find it, you know, if they were sort of, uh, I don't know, a bit more forthright in their views, I might find it a bit tough. What do you guys think?
1: Yeah, it's interesting to see what collection of personalities would actually contribute to the most, to the most successful outcome in, in this kind of a thing. I definitely think that it's something that you would learn a lot in if you were, you know, like, let's say a junior member comes on the team. You know, you just you, you kind of sit back, you contribute. Everyone's talking about every decision that's being made. And, you know, I think the the as I've seen written about it before, if someone's out sick, it doesn't really matter. You know, there's still progress. If someone goes on holidays, doesn't really matter. The mob, the mob keeps going, you know, <laughs> But I, I definitely think that after a while um, of working in that environment, you'd almost be able to say, I know Thomas is going to say this now, so I'll I'll have my, you know, my counter-argument ready and, you know, Baz <laughs> is going to say this and I'll back him up because, you know, X, Y, Z and, you know, that kind of a thing. Example, not re- representative of real <laughs> uh, opinions.
0: <laughs> then are you spending too much time thinking about other people rather than thinking of
1: a solution? It depends if it's a big problem, like if it's just an if statement and you're angry over the brackets or something, get lost, like. But if it's something like, let's t- take for example Thomas's example of uh, like iCloud or core data syncing. Yeah, you know if you. We, that's what we should do, actually, Thomas. We're going to come over to your house for a weekend, I and we going, we're going to sync your app.
2: <laughs> I I'd love. What, What did you think? Like, would would, would you? ever be interested in trying something like this? Like, does it sound interesting to you or does it sound like how?
0: I guess I'll, I like this kind of stuff maybe for prototyping, for UI and stuff like that, but I don't know for coding, would it work in, for my style, you know? Why why do you think
2: it wouldn't work for your style? Hmm. Like, do you like to sort of try things out or like, a, a, would you be sort of concerned like the, the way you, you know, like there the, you know, some people... I don't know, write all their method names first and then fill them all in. Or some people, <laughs> I like I'll often go through, like if I'm writing a method, I'll write the comments first and then fill in the code later. Yeah,
0: I suppose that could help, you know, if if you are forgetting to like write comments or something like that, or yeah, your, your method name is a bit, you know, it, it's not descriptive enough that someone there kind of with you getting you to do those things first will be kind of good. I don't know. Yeah, I, just gets, I guess I like to take my time kind of writing code and not even take my time, but, you know, working out the solution myself and then kind of, if I don't get it right first time, I'll figure it out, you know, I'll get to there in the end. Um I, I, I think it, ha- it works in a certain type of situation. I worked in this kind of situation where... I think if you're stuck on a, on a problem, yeah, I think that's when it can be good. When you're stuck on a problem, you can get a load of people to look at it. It's a really difficult thing. Um, then yeah, maybe I might be a bit more up for that kind of, uh, programming.
1: Yeah. And I, I suppose I just know from, from working with you, Baz, that you do tend to like to present completed ideas at least you know yeah, um probably. because even even if we go back to stuff like you know google wave or any of these the collaborative development things like you don't like people seeing you typing the thing until it's done yeah. you know that
0: <laughs> <laughs> i'm very much I'll, I'll write an email and then i'll end up spending like twice as much editing it so that i think it's right <laughs>
1: yeah that's me i think there's, there's nothing wrong with that like and i think that's that's the you know that's how you work best or that's how you feel you work best and it's you know it's, it's probably one of these things that if you're in the the mob driven development thing maybe if you were more part of the mob it wouldn't matter as much mm-hmm. you know if you were the person at the keyboard yeah maybe you'd feel it a bit more but if you were just sitting there going no this you know um do you know? I think after a while, maybe it would change because kind of everyone is is laid bare to a certain extent at that stage. You know? Yeah,
0: definitely. Yeah, it would be just be a bit of a change, and but probably you'd fit into it quite quickly. Then you know you get used to it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So David, if Baz is the exacting perfectionist, are you really sloppy then? Oh God, gotcha.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Do you think? I've always thought your work has been so good anytime you showed it to me.
1: (laughs) Like, a lot of effort's gone into it, you know? Uh, Yeah, no, to be honest, it usually has, but it's it's more to the point that I write any old crap to get something working first. Mm -hmm. Like, I think my natural process is prototyping. So I will always, like, I, I might spend the weekend doing you know the first ninety percent of an app right yeah um as they as they say, and get everything done and just lash it together and then you know depending on the circumstances it might actually ship that and spend the rest of the time refactoring it like but a lot of the time it's get something done quickly mm. and a lot of the time that's fine uh, you know in in terms of the 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 code or whatever, but i am I'm very okay with writing not the best code to get something done, but at least I'm aware that it's not the best code.
0: I'd be kind of similar to that. Like I'd like to, if it's something visual, you know, or just getting data on screen, I'll just have to get it, you know fake data or something, or get it out there on screen, and just then go back and make it more efficient. Of like that, I'm definitely
1: yeah. And even like using inefficient algorithms, I'll be thinking like, well, look, no one's really going to use this on more than hundred items, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll just do it. I'll just do it this way for now, and look, I'll come back to it. You know, th- those kind of trade offs, like when you're mm-hmm. when you're thinking about just getting something, getting something out there, or again, you know, cheap development at breakneck speed, which is always great fun.
2: Sounds like your strap line. Yeah. Dave's themes, breakneck development. What, what is it? Sorry, break. I've forgotten that. <laughs> You're cheap and, uh, cheap and quick.
1: Yeah. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah what's that? Uh, good, cheap, quick pick two. Excellent. Brilliant. And I mean, just in terms of overall code quality, then, like, I mean, it's something that if we're, you know, we're not big contributors to open source at the moment. Um, apart from the, the recent four I mentioned. And would we take a different approach to a project from the start, do we think, if we knew that open source was on the cards?
2: Ooh, that's a good question.
1: Because I've I've often looked at like old apps I've written or libraries I've written for myself, and I just think, no, I can't. Even if I wanted to put it out there, you know, um, I, I don't think I would. And then the the few bits that I do have open source or shared are, they're very, very short and clean anyway, by their their nature, you know, so they're not they're not overly complex, complex things. So what do you think?
2: I had a kind of version of this um, when I was developing my app. I hired a developer about a third the way through the development. So there was an existing code base there. And I, I suppose that the developer I hired had not done a huge amount of iOS development before, so they, um I guess, it was important to to kind of get them up to speed quickly and to reduce any barriers in terms of understanding the code. So I took, like, wow, it must have been two and a half weeks just going through and commenting the code base. Um, So I, I guess... It, I think it's related because this is a code base that ori- this is a code base that originally I thought was only I was only going to be contributing to it and I was opening it up, at least to the fact that somebody else uh, who's going to be working with me was going to uh, looking at it. I, and like, clearly the two, I needed to spend two 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 and a half weeks getting it into some sort of understandable state. Um, which I think is an indication of how unreadable it was beforehand. Um, but it was actually really good discipline to um to kind of properly document the the codebase, uh, and um, yeah, I think I think it, it it kind of had other benefits other than sort of getting somebody else on board. So I think in some ways knowing. It, Maybe we should open source more of our stuff because that would maybe encourage us to be a bit more rigorous about how we structure things, how we come things.
1: Maybe I don't know. Yeah, and you've like your experience with with open source this week has been quite quite positive. And um, I have to say that what the, the limited experience that I also have with with that sort of stuff is is being positive like and I think that um, good things do come from sharing your code and from collaborating with other people a lot more even you know just the the smallest thing you put out a bit of code and next thing there's some guy in that the other side of the world has decided that he likes it and he uses it and he wants to you know contribute to it even if there's only like three or four users you know it's nice.
2: Yeah, so that, that pull request that I made for that plugin was the first ever pull request I, I'd ever made on GitHub or anywhere else. Um, and yeah, I was really lucky that the, the guy, Hugh Lashbrook, who uh, maintains the plugin and seems like a really nice guy and was super friendly and I'm actually tempted maybe to do a bit more work, but just because it was such a positive experience. Working with him, and I, maybe it was something I was a bit intimidated by at in the past. Like, ooh, contributing to an open source project—like I could never do that. Yeah, like it, it was—it was a very small project, so that probably made it much easier. But it definitely encouraged me. I might—I you knew to do it again.
1: Yeah, well, if you think about it, there's going to be six thousand more users of your your code—that little bit of code that you wrote, you know—and then if you take into account all the people who download the podcasts that hit. That bit of code on the oh. server, like you know, so there's yeah. there's quite a good bit of um you know if you if you just take into the the population count like there's there's potentially hundreds of thousands if not millions of people that technically come into contact with that code, oh dear, hope it's right <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're test driven development right Tom? <laughs> excellent yeah continuous uh continuous integration continuous fear of integration.
0: <laughs> do you guys have uh, happy stuff for this week
2: i do i have a happy thing um last night i watched a drama uh on bbc called micro men and baz i think you have already seen this yeah, yeah. i watched
0: it on my flight over to boston and i have not
2: so dave i really recommend uh watching it it's uh A one-off BBC drama set in kind of, uh, I guess, late 70s, early 80s. Um, And it's about um, Sinclair and Acorn, um, the two kind of big-hitting British personal computer makers um, of that era. Um, So, um, Tim from The Office, you know, Martin Freeman, he plays Chris Curry, who left working for Sinclair to go and set up um Acorn so yes yeah, um you know they had a big falling out and they're competing with each other um but um I really enjoyed it and it has some relevance in that uh Acorn was the originator of the um ARM chip and instruction set which of course is used in uh all our phones today so Paz, what do you think of it?
0: Yeah, um, yeah. no, I just thought it was really, really good. It's really kind of fun. I don't know how exaggerated some of the scenes are, but, you know, Clive seems like a bit of a hothead in it. Um, But he does seem like a really, really smart guy. He's just, people don't see his vision, you know, that kind of thing. Um, People try and help him out, but he has to kind of go about it a bit rogue at times. And I suppose they have a little bit of a competition, uh, So, uh, about halfway through the the movie, that's quite good. It's quite nail-biting, you know, that whole thing. But uh again, don't know how true to form it is, but it's a nice bit of history. You know, I I guess like I have my spectrum here and uh, I had a few friends over last night. They're all looking at it and it's like, yeah, it was interesting to see the history of computers in England, I guess, you know, they had such a huge impact on home computers anyway. Um And it was again, just nice to kind of see the... the, the they incorporated, I guess, the video game bubble of 1983, I think it was, or 85. That it also affected yeah the computer market then as well. You know, there was just hundreds of companies in England all c- creating computers, home computers. It's it's incredible. I didn't realize. You know, you think it might be like less than ten companies that would have been working on it, but there was hundreds of these companies all in England alone that's working on it. So, I found all that extra new extra information kind of fascinating.
2: Just uh um a bit of trivia which i knew before i watched it um so roger wilson um who's kind of designed the the kind of first acorn computer um ended up um basically was one of the people who wrote the instruction set for arm um roger transitioned to a woman at some stage i think maybe in the 80s but she has a cameo uh, as a pub land she's She's played as a man in the series, but she has a cameo herself as the pub land lady
1: <laughs> in the things cool.
0: Yeah, I didn't spot that at all. I must go back and try and
1: look at that. And is this just a like a drama? It's, it's a movie as opposed to a series, is it? Yeah. Yeah. It's one, it's one off. off. Excellent. All right. I know what I'll do this week.
0: <laughs> I guess it's the the, 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 the British version of um, Pirates of Silicon Valley.
1: You know, <laughs> which is another great movie. It is it's another um, fantastic movie.
2: Yeah. Or or even, yeah, it's kind of a mix between parts Second uh, Silicon Valley, but also Halt and Catch Fire, which I know is fictional, but, um, do you know, I think that's so slightly later era, but with some similarities.
0: Yeah. And there's also a lot of references to the Sinclair electric car, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> Those bits are brilliant. <laughs> Um, Dave, anything making you happy
1: this week? Um, Loads, I'm sure, but my brain is just so fried now at the moment that I can't, I can't think of one off the top of my head. <laughs> I think I'm
0: kind
2: of in the same boat. It's been, um, lads, I can't believe neither of you can I, think of something making you
0: happy. What's wrong? I know, I didn't finish. I didn't finish. But it's really easy. Like, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> when you're not making me happy anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um. I can, yeah, I guess it's been a busy week. Um... But I suppose this weekend, for all us, all us comic book nerds, or, uh, well, not comic book nerds, but movie nerds and stuff, there's a, a huge amount of Marvel trailers came out. So, Wonder Woman, um, the Avengers movie. Um, is there a reason, Baz, why they all came out at once? Yeah, the San Diego Comic-Con is on this weekend. Oh. Um, there was another one, and then they have trailers for uh, Netflix, a few, uh, was it Iron Fist and, oh God, I've forgotten the names of them. Anyway, um, I don't know if you watch Daredevil at all, but a couple of characters that are in Daredevil, they're going to have their own shows on Netflix, but it's kind of cool because they're all going to be coming together then in a a show, you know, that's mashes all these three different shows it's together, all these superheroes together. So there's lots going on. Um, also, <laughs> uh, there's a new Harry Potter book coming out. I haven't even found about this. Um, it's eighteen or nineteen years in the future, so I'm going to look forward to that because I've read all those books. I don't know if you ever read them. Um,
2: yeah, I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. Really? Yeah.
0: I didn't notice. Do so you know about this book then? Um, yeah, I,
2: I, I'd heard about the the play, but yeah, it was only recently I, I heard it's going to be a book. So yeah, I'm not sure, but
0: yeah, I mean, it's something to look forward to. Anyway, it's kind of it, it's a bit quiet at the moment, really, isn't it in tech world and. It's a lot of stuff, I guess, you know, we're meant to be outdoors playing Pokemon. We're not <laughs> meant to be looking at tech and stuff. That's that's for the winter.
2: Um, Baz, have you seen most of the kind of high profile trailers that came out for whatever it is Comic Con? Is that what you call yeah. it? Yeah, Comic Con. Yeah.
0: So um, any one in particular you're sort of really looking forward to? I think the Wonder Woman trailer was fantastic. Was it? Yeah. The, I'm not too sure too much on the Justice League one. It's kind of...
2: And what's their take with Wonder Woman? Um, do you know, do, are they taking an unusual kind of take? Is she
0: Uh it's World War One, which is kind of cool. Wow. So she's fighting in the trenches with all the uh the soldiers, which is kinda cool. Um, wow. And just the uh, just the action scenes, you know, just it looked really, really good, whereas the Justice League one is setting up getting all these characters together and stuff like that. Um it they, they just seem to be kind of all-out action inside in the Wonder Woman 1. It looked really good. Um, yeah. And the fact that it's in World War 1 is kind of cool. Uh, sorry. It's it's either World War 1 or World War 2. But yeah. It's probably World War 2 to get more yanks in there.
2: <laughs> I wonder, like, all the people who were sort of irrationally upset by their being women Ghostbusters, like... I mean, clearly Wonder Woman is supposed to be a woman. So like, are they going to find some reason to be upset
0: about this or? or, I've already seen I've already seen um, a meme today. (laughs) It was at one point in the trailer because she's an Amazonian woman. She's never seen a guy. So she sees a guy and she goes, you're a man. And he's like, did you just call out my gender? (laughs) 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 Not so relevant in Ireland, I don't think. But yeah, obviously more of an issue, I think, in the States. Yeah. So,
1: no Wonder Man movie.
0: <laughs> you know, somebody will start whinging about that. Wonder, Wonder Man. <laughs> uh, do you know Brie Olson at all? Uh, she was in that The Room movie recently. Oh, Larson. What did I say?
2: Olson? <laughs> Are you thinking about the Olson twins? Bas? Maybe.
0: <laughs> what is he not? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, she got announced then as Captain Marvel. So, there's lots of cool stuff going on in san diego comic-con that's this week so that stuff is kind of interesting i like when there's a huge amount of you know trailers thrown all out at once that's what's kind of fun you can binge in it for a while and read all the stories and then yeah people what are people's reactions to them you know
2: have there been any good sort of games recent games buzz from comic books? Com- franchises. Uh
0: Batman ones are usually spot on. Okay. Um the Arkham games. There's a new Spider-Man game uh coming out which looks class, but you know a lot of Spider-Man games are pretty pretty bad. The PS2 one would have been PS1 and the PS2 ones would have been highly well like well, well regarded back in the day. And then everything else since not so much. But yeah, this one could be good.
1: Yeah, there's no real living up to Superman 64 though. Oh god.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know? Um
1: yeah. Possibly the worst video game ever ever released. So, um, I suppose from myself, in that vein of things, the trailer for the new Star Trek was unveiled at Comic Con as well. And just yesterday, I think. And um, doesn't give a whole lot away. There's a ship, it looks old, it's in an asteroid for some reason, as opposed to some other place a ship might be. um, And yeah, people. a lot of people complaining about the texture and the models and the fonts and, you know, typical kind of nerd stuff like, <laughs> they just use the default Windows font on a spaceship and, you know, that <laughs> that kind of thing. But um, palpable sense of excitement around it. And especially since the the showrunner, uh, Brian Fuller's after coming out and saying that it's going to be um, much less episodic than previous series. And it's going to be more like a, a novel in series, guys, than, than a kind of a...
0: Oh, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, kind of a f- 40 minutes and then everything goes back to normal next week. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, there was previously like um, yeah, Deep Space Nine was pretty good at that, but there was a lot of filler. You know, um, they didn't want to go too heavy into it because, it, you know, audiences at the time, you know, if you did more than two episodes in a row on the same thing, it was kind of like, you know, you'd lose, you'd lose the casuals. Yeah. So I think. um,
0: I, I was watching Bojack Horseman today and there's a line in it and it goes, you know, because uh, he had an old TV show back in the 80s and one of the guys like, yeah, you know, if we can keep our. Weekly uh, viewership over a, a low fifteen million <laughs> um, will be all fine. It's just it's it's funny how TV has changed, you know. Having fifteen million nowadays, people watching yeah. a show would be it's just unheard of and stuff like that. So, and I guess yeah, we're we're used to different type of TV shows and what people can do in TV now.
1: Yeah, I think the whole Netflix box set style of watching things has really has really changed uh, the the way in which tv shows can actually be made mm-hmm. you know yeah. like i i loved in house of cards like um when one episode would finish the next episode would start with the exact same scene and him sitting in the exact same place you know um not always obviously but there's a few episodes where that happened and mm-hmm. you know if you're watching straight through you're like great yeah good sense of um good sense of continuity and I think we see that a lot with the, the Netflix stuff, like it's if it's specifically for Netflix, you know, the, the time isn't always exactly the 42 minutes, you know, some, you know, or, or the, the 50 minutes or whatever. It's kind of whatever suits the story. And it's much better that way than trying to try to fill um, episodes. You know, if, if it's done, just cut it. It's done. Mm-hmm. If it needs a bit more, leave it off.